0: Instead of how, what's it like when you pray, we're going to ask, oh, let's see if I can get that to work. We're going to ask, what is it like when someone else prays for you? And so this can be when somebody prays for you, like vineyard style up here at the front, can I pray for you right now and put my hand on your shoulder and I'm talking while you're listening. Um, This could be, you know, maybe you went through a tough time and you had friends that you knew were lifting you up in prayer um, throughout their weeks, even when you guys weren't together um a little a bit of ground rules for our discussion time you don't have to share you can just listen um this is a chance for us to reflect God's care and encouragement to each other so let's do that and if you would say something like just on a side note like I don't know if I do know what it's like for somebody to pray for me I don't know that I've had an experience like that um let me tell you you've come to the right place, (laughs) because at the end of the service, like, the best thing that we do here is uh, we pray for each other, and you can come up and really uh, have that experience. I encourage you to give it a try. So if you'd find groups of three and chat about this question for just a couple minutes, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk about what the Bible says. Maybe we'll roll some music. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on. I hope you connected, people in your group. Isn't it fun to talk to other people at church? I like it. Um, So Jesus talks about prayer a lot. There are, like, a sermon about prayer... (laughs) It's like, well, so what passage shall I preach from? Basically, every book of the Bible at some point talks about prayer, and there are so many different opportunities. So today we're going to do, we're going to look at a couple of stories Jesus tells. Um, the parable of the persistent widow and the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Both of these are in Luke 18. So if you would, read along with me. You can read on the screen or get out your device, or um, if you've got a paper Bible, remember these things. Isn't it like, it's kind of like old fashioned now. I love him. Okay, so, but I'm going to read from the screen. So here we go, Luke 18, um, starting in verse 1. And then Jesus told his disciples a parable, a story, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or care about what people think, isn't Jesus such a good storyteller? Like this is so hilarious. Like this guy's thinking, even though I don't, I don't fear God and I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see, what, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the little like, mm. Grow power. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? And I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, in this parable about the persistent widow, in this first parable, Um, we see even a corrupt judge is willing to give justice to the widow who's asking for it because she persists, because she's very persistent. When we pray, we need persistence. The parable of the persistent widow, though, leaves me with a question. I don't know if you guys have this question too, but like, what about the times when God doesn't give justice to me quickly? Like Jesus says right there, like, oh, God will come. He will give justice very quickly. He's much better than the corrupt judge. He'll just take care of it. But sometimes I feel like I ask and I ask and I ask, and then nothing happens. You know, my family member who I've invited to church a gazillion times still doesn't come. Or my my friend maybe gets, like, a really lousy diagnosis from a doctor. And the apparently unanswered prayer can invite bitterness and cynicism into my life, as I become discouraged, and the choice for faith becomes just a little bit more difficult. And I think it's no coincidence that these two parables are together, because when we pray, in addition to persistence, we also must have humility. So we talked about this second parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector, upstairs in kids' ministry a couple weeks ago. And the kids got it right away. You know, like, we, like, watched a little animated YouTube, and there's a Pharisee in, like, fancy, colorful clothes. Like, glad I'm not that guy. And everybody kind of, like, booed a little bit. You know, like, the little kids, like, oh, you know. And then, um, and then, and then it, like, became fun to boo every time the Pharisee showed up on the screen. Because, you know, we have a lot of fun upstairs. And, um, and then we had our tax collector, and he was in, like, humble, brown clothes, and he was like not even looking up to God. It was really cute. The Pharisee was like like peeking to make sure everybody was watching him, and then he'd start to pray, versus the tax collector was clearly not paying attention to anybody but God. It was really well done. And um, as I was reading about uh, this like, in preparation for this sermon, I really like how N.T. Wright describes the situation. So he says this about the Pharisee and the tax collector. He says, the Pharisee in the temple has already turned praying into a contest. His prayer, which consists simply of telling God about his own good points, ends up exalting himself by the simple expedient of denouncing the tax collector. The tax collector, however, is the one whose small faith sees through to the great heart of God, and he casts himself on the divine mercy. Now, I've never really been tempted to say, God, thanks for making me awesome. Not like those people over there who are the worst. Like, I've never, I've never actually had to, like, say, Oh, slow down, Karen. Don't, don't pray that way. Um, something about my upbringing in church or uh, maybe even just, like, a modern American moral culture, like, makes me aware that, like, obviously this wouldn't please God. Like, this is obvious, right? Like, clearly God wouldn't be happy with this kind of a prayer. But I do find that I can be challenged to be persistent. A lot of times, like, I pray and I want something to happen immediately. Or it can be challenging to stay humble. Like, maybe I start off by casting myself on the divine mercy, as N.T. Wright describes it. But after a while, I can start to look a little bit more like the Pharisee because I start to feel entitled to an answer. Specifically, I start to feel entitled to my answer, like the answer that I want, and I stop asking how can I grow, and I start asking. And I'm not. I'm not really proud of this, but I start asking, why is God so mean? Do you guys ever feel that way? You don't have to, you don't have to admit it. <laughs> um, Paul Miller wrote an excellent book um, that I highly recommend. It's called The Praying Life. And he shares about the necessity of looking for the story that God is writing throughout the entirety of our praying life. So he says that our praying life can't be disconnected from the rest of our experience of like our day in and day out life. It shouldn't be like a satellite orbiting the earth. But the praying life, he says, is inseparable from obeying, loving, waiting, and even suffering. He talks about his own experience with prayer. Um, Paul Miller wanted to write a book like before he wrote a book. Obviously, he wrote a book, because I'm quoting his book. Um, but something that you need to know about him to understand this story is that Paul Miller had a daughter who had autism. Her name was Kim, and she couldn't speak. She was, um, had a lot of problems and delays with communication. So Paul Miller, he's an established author now, but before he had written any books, um, he had a desire, a great desire, to write a book about how Jesus loves. And he writes, as I was praying about this, the thought came to me, Paul God's talking to him. Paul, how can you speak about me when Kim doesn't speak at all? God was determined that my hidden life with my family match my open life of ministry. He didn't want a robust public ministry focused on love, the book, and an unfinished private ministry. Kim's not speaking. He didn't want an outer life to look bigger than an inner life. He didn't want a split self. I won't read the whole story, but three years after that day that God stopped Paul from writing, and the day the day that Paul Miller, he set aside his plans to write, he had a contract to write his first book called Love Walked Among Us. And he had the financial resources to devote himself to writing full-time. But more importantly, during that time, Kim... Mastered the use of a speech computer, and she was able to express herself, asking for what she wanted, sharing how she felt, and even praying before the meal for her family. They actually had the computer before he started writing, but they said, you know, it was so overwhelming to them because it had 128 icons, 3,000 word language, and for their, the thought of, like, how is our daughter going to lear- learn to work this complex machine when we can't even figure it out as, like, adults who have nothing like the challenges that she faces. But because he put off his writing career and he reset his focus on the thing that God had guided him to, um, doors started opening. They found a week long camp that he attended with his daughter to learn how to work the machine together, and they started practicing all the time. He even tells a funny story about them going out to eat, and he say we sort of forget like where the volume was set on the machine. And I guess there are like different personas you can speak with, like rough Rhoda or like j- like lumberjack. Larry. And so like they'd be in the middle of a restaurant and like belt it out in this like cool robot voice and be like god thanks for this food. <laughs> and like the the older teenager children in the family would sort of like slink down in a chair <laughs> like oh my god here we are but even with that like funny like oh you know teenagers being teenagers it was such a delight for them because their daughter who they'd had this barrier of communication with was able to speak and express herself in a way that maybe she never would have if paul miller had said god i want to write a book and god said well i want kim to speak and paul miller said well whatever i'm just gonna i'm just gonna figure out this book writing thing myself and i don't know why you're so horrible to me god that you don't want me to write a book it's like about you but he didn't say that He didn't say that. He was willing to look for the story that God was writing in his life. So Paul Miller says this about the whole affair. He says, In my case, seeking God's kingdom first meant not writing publicly about Jesus, but doing a hidden work of love. The father deliberately delayed a book about the beauty of his son for the sake of Kim being able to speak more clearly. He put Kim ahead of his son's own honor. Because Paul was paying attention to God in regards to his writing, he didn't get angry or aimless or hopeless, things that all can happen to me when my prayers go unanswered. Instead, he allows God to direct him in a different way, and the result is that this guy ended up publishing not one but many books, and, um, which was right where he wanted to go from the start. So Paul Miller has a few tips for us that I think we can learn from really well. Uh, the first is don't demand that the story go your way. I think this one can be really difficult for us, right? Like, Burger King promises that it's my way right away. Like, I am a product of, like, youth culture in America. And I'm watching this happen in my kids, and it's even worse. Like, they're watching Netflix, or they're watching something on Amazon Prime, and I try to explain to them about, like, what commercials used to be like. (laughs) Or that, like, you know, in my day, we we had to, like, sit down at the right time to watch the show because it was only on at like a specific time and only once and we couldn't like pause to go to the bathroom we had to like make these like complex like seatbacks, you know rules when we had to go to the bathroom and we had to like race on the commercial and try to get back in time and like they they just like look at us they're like what like not really like I think they think maybe I'm pulling their leg like they just can't imagine a world before that and you know and I remember like I feel this look on my face and I think oh this is the look on my parents face whenever I would ask the same kinds of things you know like I want to drive faster or you know like I you know we uh, we lived overseas for a little bit when I was a kid so we took planes like oh this plane ride is so long and my mom's just like this could have taken weeks on a boat like you're the luckiest kid in the world I didn't get on a plate until I was like a grown-up, because this isn't really stuff for kids back in my day, you know, and I just be like, oh, I like like how kids are. But I think that, you know, not demanding that the story go our way is something that Jesus uniquely empowers us to do by leaving our prayers unanswered or slow to be answered sometimes. I think this is a thing that, like, we have to practice and get better at, and I think you can even see that in, like, the development of a child, or even the development in an adult, like I'm a lot more patient now than I was when I was younger. And it's something that like it comes through practice. And that kind of practice is painful, but it's so worthwhile because God's dreams sometimes are much bigger than our dreams. Often they're much better than our dreams. I think God dreams so richly and so generously. And where I'm just saying, I want to watch this Netflix show, Jesus is saying, I want to change the community that you live in. And I need the story not to go my way because the greater thing is the thing that God has defined for me. And if I can't submit to the story not looking exactly like I plan on it being, then I'm going to miss out. Another tip from Paul Miller is to look for the storyteller. So he says, look for his hand and then pray in light of what you're seeing. God gives us all kinds of hints and tips, and sometimes this comes through, um, uh, sometimes the way God communicates with us is through something we call holy discontent. Um, if something is frustrating, if you have a pain point in your life, if there's something that really bothers you, it could be that this is something that really bothers God too, and that there's an invitation in whatever this situation is, whether it's difficulty with a family member or if It's seeing people who have needs not getting those needs met. Um, Maybe it's concern about the schools or concern about hospitals and how we're handling disease or concern about like is our church growing or are we really teaching our kids about Jesus or man I think the worship team needs a drum a drum set player so I'll try you know like sometimes these things can be an invitation from God to do something that will cause us to kind of step outside of ourselves or to rely on him in a new way so that's one particular kind of hint I'd say look for look for the storyteller and see what God is um is putting some attention on, maybe even some of your attention on. And then the last one, and I think this one is the best one, is to stay in the story. Don't shut down when it goes the wrong way. There are so many stories that God tells throughout. We can see them in the Bible. We can see them in the lives of the saints, in the lives of amazing men and women who've been used by God, where, like, bad things happen before good things happen, right? You've heard the cliche. It's a cliche for a reason. Things have to get worse before they get better. So often, God gets started with a work, and then the challenges come, and that's an opportunity for us to grow, and that's an opportunity for God to really show himself to be the hero of the story. So sometimes I think about prayer, and I feel like, you know, God, wouldn't it be in your best interest just to, like, answer my prayers immediately? Like, I feel like I could be trusted with this. You know, like, I could use that really well. Like, okay, so maybe, like, filter out any bad prayers. Like, if I prayed something like, God, give me all of Matthew Everson's money. Like, that might be a, like, like, okay, not that one, all right, but I wouldn't pray that one anyway. I pray for us both to get rich. Doesn't God want that, you know? Or um, I think God might have to, like, filter out the ones with, like, unintended bad consequences. Like, you know, God make us all millionaires in this church. Like, God might filter that out because maybe he knows that, like, If I had a lot of money, I might truly just watch Netflix all the time and, like, not leave my house again because that's just how diehard of an introvert I can be. And, like, ultimately, I think that wouldn't be good for me. So, okay, fine, God. Like, filter out the bad prayers that I know are maliciously bad. (laughs) Filter out the, like good intentions, but uh, unforeseen negative consequences prayers. But like, what about healing? Like, what if, wouldn't it be in your interest, God, to just like, every single time I pray for somebody to be healed, they just get healed every time. Like, wouldn't that build my faith? Wouldn't that build their faith? Don't you want to show off that way, God? Like, I think that would be a good thing. I feel like any time that I ask for something like this, like, it would be kind of a good thing for you just to, like, answer all of our prayers, like, a lot, like, and quickly, and dramatically, seems like a really good plan, um, so as, like, as I ponder this, and maybe even pray about it a little bit, because, like, there have been a couple times where I've been with someone who doesn't believe in God, and I'm like, well, I'll pray for you for something, and then we'll see it happen, and won't it be amazing, and then that doesn't happen, it's like, God, I was really, I was being evangelistic, like, even this time, you're not going to do it, like, this is evangelism, this is your thing, this is your jam, like, jam, God, <laughs> make evangelism happen, I think, um, I think a couple of things happen. The first is is, if God answered every single prayer that I prayed, I think an important question for us to ask is, at this point, who would be serving whom? Like, am I serving God if he answers my prayers every single time I pray? Or am I making myself into God and saying, God, you should do everything that I want whenever I want it. I think that is something that God loves me too much to be willing to do. Um, Another thing that I think is is an important question to ask is, would such a scenario, would that build my faith in God? Or would it ultimately violate my free will? We talk about this sometimes, about how we serve a God who hides himself, which can be kind of a confusing, like, why Why would God hide himself? Like, we see this in the Old Testament especially. Like, God sometimes, like, makes things less clear, you know? Or he, he hides himself from it. And I think it's really important for Christians to have, like, really good theology about this. You know? Like, God, if you are God, why don't you just make it obvious that you are? And then everyone can worship you. We can all go to church together. We'll all go to heaven together. Like, we're, we're just, we'll just have it all. Like, isn't this a good thing to do? And I think that what we see is, in the Bible, in the entire story of the Bible— is we see that God is maybe even recklessly devoted to our free will. It's really important to God, apparently, that we have the ability to choose. He could have made the Garden of Eden with no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He could have just made Adam and Eve incapable of sinning, and then wouldn't we all just be happily living in the Garden of Eden right now? But God doesn't do that. He gives an opportunity to make a choice, and him hiding himself, because God is so good. Like, if God just appeared to us in, like, visible audible form right now is there a single person who could refuse to worship him would we have a choice anymore like if i could see all of god's goodness could i say no i don't think i could say no and i think god really wants me to be able to say no so that when i say yes it has meaning so let's imagine a world like this for a second Um, let's imagine a world in which everyone is heterosexual and there is, and I'm the only woman in the world, and there are four billion men in the world. And let's imagine, it's weird, I know, go with me, I'm going to make a good point here. So let's imagine that then my husband says to me, Kara, I love you. And I think, yeah, I mean, (laughs) like I'm sort of your only choice though, right? Like, (laughs) Like, that's kind of nice, but, like, if you and not have babies, like, I have the only womb on the whole planet, so I guess you would love me. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? But let's imagine, oh, I forgot I did this wrong. I was going to make him the only man, so he was the good guy in the story. Sorry. It's too late now. Sorry, everyone. Um, but let's imagine, let's imagine if me, the only woman on the planet, there are four billion dudes, and I say to my husband, I say, I love you. Well, that would have a lot of meaning, Right because I'd have, I'd have my pick of everyone. Like, I'm the only girl. <laughs> and if I chose him, that would really mean something. That would really have value. That would really be, like, my choice. God gives us the gift of being able to love him, because he loves us. And he won't take that away from us, even when it means that we have to also have the choice to walk away and to do horrible things to ourselves and to each other. And the way that he preserves that choice is sometimes when we pray, the answer is delayed, or the answer is no, or the answer is, how can you speak about me when your daughter can't speak? I want you to focus on something else. And that kind of submission to God, I think that's something that the tax collector really shows us, that the Pharisee, I think the Pharisee doesn't get. You know, when the Pharisee says, like, I'm so awesome, and I'm not like those guys, he's clearly, I I don't even feel like God is a part of the Pharisee's prayer. It's like God isn't even, like, involved in what the Pharisee's paying attention to. But this tax collector, I get the feeling in the way that he talks, that if God were to say, um, if God were to ask him to do anything, I feel like the tax collector would do it. You know, like the tax collector is there, he's repentant, and he's, putting himself at God's mercy, and he's humble. And so I think when we pray, it's critical that we persist and that we have humility. Um, so when we pray, we wait, we work, we suffer, we forgive, and God doesn't necessarily operate on our timeline. So um, does that mean that when we pray, that it then has to become this onerous task, right? Like, so God's giving me all these choices, and um, I've got a Look for him as a storyteller, and I need to pray without ceasing, and I need to have persistence, and I need to have humility. Check, 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 check. Like I need to, you know, and and like I've done the thing where like I get on YouTube, and like I watch like the productivity gurus, and I think like how can I use this to like make my spiritual disciplines more powerful, you know? Like maybe you've heard of like an anchor habit. Like if I brush my teeth every day, then I should pray when I'm brushing my teeth, because then brushing my teeth will remind me to pray every day, which is a great strategy. I highly encourage it, but I feel like God wants something more from us. I feel like God wants something more with us. I think it's important for us to consider all of this from a different point of view. So to do that, um, I'll be asking you all to use your imaginations. If you'd like to close your eyes, you can. Um, I think probably no one will because I just gave it as an option and who wants to be the weirdo with their eyes closed? Okay, so let's just leave our eyes open. It's settled. Um, <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't think that went through very well. So, but let's imagine something. Let's imagine that, uh, would you imagine that you have a son? And maybe you do have a son. Would you imagine that you have a son who's like in his maybe late teens, early 20s? Give him a name. Or if you've already got a son, grow him up a little bit in your mind. And let's imagine your son, and let's imagine that he has been arrested. And the police have put him in handcuffs, and they've taken him to the police station, and he's got fingerprint ink on his fingers, and he's sitting in an interview room, and maybe he's even, like, changed into the orange outfit, and he's scared, and he's lonely. And maybe he did something wrong, or maybe he's innocent and wrongly accused, but for whatever reason, he is waiting for the police to send him to a jail cell and uh, take away all of his freedom, and who even knows who else is going to be in the jail cell, and he's alone. And he has one phone call. Do you feel that yearning with me? Call me, right? Call me. If you find yourself in this situation, I would say to my son, You have to call me. You have to call me, and we will figure this out. And I'm not mad and I love you no matter what happened, and uh, well, I'm going to find you a lawyer, and I'm going to give you a pep talk, and I'm going to tell you about my love for you, and we are going to figure this out. Like, I'll bribe somebody. Like What do we have to do? Because you're scared, and you're alone, and you're young, and you're in crisis, and I want to help you. Or maybe we can imagine that we have a daughter. Maybe she's like 15, and she's at a party, maybe that we told her not to go to. And the person who's giving her a ride home has been drinking. And she has to make the decision about whether or not she's going to get into this car. And when I imagine this, I think that I can just, I experience what God experiences about prayer because I just think, just call me. I will protect you. I will rescue you. I will provide for you. I will preserve your life. It's what I want to do. I don't need you to figure this mess out by yourself and then come back to me with A's on a report card. I need you to call me now before something happens that I won't be able to undo and I won't be able to help with and I won't be able to fix And I think that this is what God wants to say to us about prayer, is I think God wants to say, call me. Just please connect with me, whatever you're going through. And God knows the things that we're going through. Um, I found it really helpful. A couple weeks ago, I was really struggling. Like, I was really upset, and it was one of those, like, I can't sleep because I'm trying to think about how to justify myself in sort of a conflict that I'm in. And and I get to work, and, like, I can't really focus on work because I'm just thinking about this thing. And I try to pray about it and have a hard time. And I felt like God just put the thought in my mind of, like, well, tell it to me like you would explain it to your mom who has no idea what's going on in this particular situation. Just, like, sit down on the couch and tell it to me, but tell it to me like I'm, like, another human, like a mentor or, you know, a role model or somebody who, like, a friend who has no idea idea what's going on just start from the beginning and in just expressing to God how I felt suddenly I was able to access like a lot more emotions about the whole thing because in my prayer I think a lot of times I just kind of skip to the end I'm like God it's bad you know you know (laughs) you know like nothing I don't get a lot out of that but when I sit down and I say well God so it's been a while, so you don't know what's going on. Let's pretend. And, you know, this is this is the event that happened, and this is what the person said, and this is the thing that I felt, and I don't know what to do. I feel like my options are. I could do this thing, which is awful, or I could do this thing, which is really awful. I could do this thing, which will feel really bad for me, and what am I, you know? And it's like somehow in that, I think God is able just to come into that moment and and be near me in a way that maybe I hadn't experienced quite so powerfully in a little while because I try to—I find I try to fix my problems without God a lot of the times, you know? And then in prayer, I feel like I need to start with praise and adoration and thanksgiving. I love starting prayer with praise and adoration and thanksgiving. But for the times when we're really struggling with stuff, when things are really hard, I think that God just yearns for us to call out to him wherever we're at. He designed babies to need their parents, and he designed us to need him. And I think that the widow really gets that. She's got this problem, and she just keeps asking. She doesn't try to figure out, like, how can I just solve this on my own since God isn't, since the judge isn't doing what I want. And I think we see the tax collector, and he's just, he doesn't have an agenda. He's just trying to connect with God, and he knows like, the situation of, like, God is God, and I am myself, and I'm a sinner, so I need that mercy. And I think that both of these, um, these parable characters, these story characters that Jesus talks about really highlight for us just what our relationship with God can and should be like. When God connects with us through prayer, like, that's his ultimate desire. Like, this is the thing that melts his heart. This is the thing, I, I just, I feel like, I feel almost silly saying it because it's like, is this really true? But it is really true, God thinks about you all the time. He thinks about you all the time. When you woke up this morning, when you lay down at night, every conversation, every breath, every thought, he's always thinking about you because he has the bandwidth to think about all of us all the time. So let's take some time to look at a second question, um, which is, what is God yearning for you to call out to him about? So as we talk about that, kind of we imagine like what that's like, of like what the parent wanting to have their child call them in a situation that they need help with. What might be a situation that we feel comfortable sharing with each other in group that like, man, I really need to experience God this way. And when I read about the persistent widow, maybe it sours a little because like I haven't gotten my answer on this thing yet. What's, What's that? What's that like? So we'll turn on some music and we'll get back in our groups and we'll talk for just a couple minutes. Okay, so I don't want to cut anyone off, but we will have a chance to pray for each other in just a second. Um, I want to close with some insight about prayer from Scott Harrop, the father of our very own Lindsay Carter. Um, I was actually, right before I get to that, I I was having dinner with Josh's extended family, including his grandparents who are from Iowa. And Josh's family is German. They immigrated to the United States in like 1918. And um, <clears throat> I think his family in general is like more connected with like the concept of like our heritage and our people, um, maybe than my family is. So it's really it's like being a tourist in another family of like, oh wow, I've never had a conversation like this before in my life. Um, like my family's never gotten together and been like Danes, huh? <laughs> you know. Um, so, so. Um, but one of the things that they were talking about is they, his aunt and his grandparents had just um, been through like some. They'd been to like history museum and they'd been. Really reading some things about, you know, we were talking about the election, we were talking about political rights and voting in different groups, and they said that um, the state of Iowa actually had a law in the 1920s, so this is 100 years ago, when there were, (coughs) excuse me, a lot of German immigrants, and um, the country, like, there was kind of a, a, we want to, like, let's all, everybody speak English kind of pressure from the government that was putting on the people, and they actually passed a law in the 1920s that said God will neither hear nor answer in any language but English. Which is, on the one hand, a little bit hilarious, because this thing was written in, like, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, <laughs> not English. But also just, like, the, the, oh, it just makes me so, like, like, like I want to laugh, but also it makes me really angry, and it also makes me really sad to think about people feeling like I can't be connected with God because I don't talk the right way or because my heritage, or my ancestry, or um, my identity is unacceptable to him. And that was like a horrible political thing that happened, and it was a hundred years ago. We'll never do that again, God willing. But, um, and also like the government getting involved in what language you preach in a church. But um, I, I really like just connecting that with this insight from Scott Harrop. So here's what he shared on Facebook a little while back. He says, <clears throat> Some prayers, when we hear them, are self-evidently powerful. Clearly, the person is in in intimate conversation with heaven. There's no pretension, posturing, or selfish wish, wish list, just unhindered give and take from the Heavenly Father. In my life, someone consistently comes to mind in that department. He might surprise you. Our son Connor was 11 at the time and outwardly severely constrained by cerebral palsy. But wow, can he pray. It goes something like this. Oh, It's repeated a few times at varying lengths. Connor usually kicks in when he hears someone in our family offering a prayer. Sometimes while we're praying, we'll hear him echoing with a gentle yes. He's got a two-word vocabulary in his prayer lexicon, I suspect he gets a lot more across than I do with a thousand words to choose from, or with thousands of words to choose from. When I listen to Connor pray, I'm reminded that the God who created every nuance of language is able to see right to the heart of what I need, even when I don't quite know how to express myself. For me, Connor's a living reminder of Jesus' promise, your father knows what you need before you ask him, from Matthew 6, eight. Jesus wasn't discouraging prayer. He followed the instruction with the simple yet profound lines of the Lord's prayer, but he invites us to remember that in the family of God, our Heavenly Father's heart is intimately grafted with ours. Sometimes, when everything seems to be piling up to bury us, we can move mountains with a simple, Oh, yes, uttered in faith. Would you stand? Our worship team is going to come up and play one more song. And uh, this is the time that we take to pray for each other. In the vineyard, our favorite question is, can I pray for you right now? And so, can I pray for you right now? And there are other people on our prayer team who also want to pray. And so, if uh, anything that came up during the discussion... Um, or if anything else about this sermon really hit that you'd like prayer about, you can step forward into kind of like the front area, and someone from who's been trained, like not to be too weird, will put their hand on your shoulder, and will ask your name and how they can pray for you, and then they'll just pray. And I always joke it's like the most wonderful way to pray, because like you just come up and stand, and somebody else does all the work. Um, We also have a couple of Um, words we think maybe God has told us in advance of if you might be feeling this, definitely come up and get prayer. So the first is feeling stuck. Um, God will help you. Uh, Another is if you feel fear about physical health, God wants to bring healing and also courage. And then finally, if you feel guilt about prayer, God wants to bring freedom. So if any of that hits or anything else from the sermon hits during this last song, come up, we'll pray for you and let's sing. Amen. Mm-hmm.